Hey, everybody, it's Polly Mac here from the Murphy Mac Morning Show, getting ready to talk to Steve Moskowitz, good friend and podcast sponsor. Steve, can you help me make some sense of the AB150? What is it and what does it mean? AB150 passed July 16th, 2021, effectively gives business owners the ability to deduct their state income taxes on their federal return. But you have to be an entity like an S-Corp. So if you're a sole proprietor, what you want to do is talk to us about becoming an S-Corp. And then what happens is you get to pay the taxes at the corporate level, which are deductible. You don't pay a penny more in state taxes. This is a big, big deal. So if you're a sole proprietor, talk to us about becoming an S-Corp. If you're already an S-Corp, then you need to talk to us about making a selection. Wow, this is a nice opportunity, Steve. The AB150 is just one of the things Steve can help you with. Call in today at one 888 tax deal or visit him online at moskowitzllp.com. Am I hallucinating here? Just what in the hell do you think you're doing? Welcome to Polly's Podcast. You know, I've been thinking about this. If I'm here and you're here, doesn't that make it our time? Connection made with Ron Adams on the UMA guest line. Ron, welcome back to the Murph and Mac show with Brian Murphy and Paul McCaffrey. How are you? Hey, Ron. I'm good. How are you guys? We're good, man. You guys really entertained us last night. My gosh. Were you you entertained, Ron? Were you? Are you not entertained? I I was entertained. You know, it was game three. We had a lot of brilliant performances. Uh, Denver, we thought and would give us a, a really good game at home. Game three, they did. And uh, it was just a marvelous win. It was marvelous. And you talk about great performances. So let's talk about them. Um, the one that's getting the most run is the, the Draymond steal of Jokic. Now, I mean, I don't want to take any shine off it because it was brilliant, but the Warriors were up five at that time. So, I mean, there were plays that built to that moment, which we'll get into in just a sec. But let's start with that one because it was so symbolic, I think. Can you tell us, I don't know if you had a chance to see the replay or what you guys talked about in the huddle in terms of having five fouls and knowing that they were going to go Jokic on Draymond. Can you take us maybe inside the huddle and what you saw and and, and, and the download of that play? Well, I think, you know, we depend on, on, on Draymond's judgment. And uh, he's right most of the time. So, you know, a little bit of a dicey play, but uh, he's, a quick reflex act rather than react kind of player. And uh, he made a great play on that one. So there's not too much more to it. You know, he has supreme confidence in himself. And, you know, when you're playing with five fouls and you make that play, it's got to be, it's got to be a great play, right? So I think that play to me was, you know, really stellar, but I think his body of work throughout the game was, there were so many other plays that I would pick out that were much more impressive than that one. Oh, uh, but cool. Can you think of any the factors? I, I think that was, that was mm. a, certainly a, I love that, play. that you think there were even more impressive plays. Can you just kind of go th- I know maybe not play by play, but just what kinds of plays are you talking about that really stood out to you? Well, there were so many times at the basket he uh, went vertical and, and, you know, destroyed a shot in one way or the other. He's just uncanny at that. He's got to battle uh, maybe the the next MVP every, you know, every play. 
trying to be physical, trying not to get in foul trouble, uh, trying to thwart a move, which is which is not easy with Jokic. I mean, there's just a whole series of plays. You know, I just can't pluck one or two out. I mean, it, it's just the body, his body of work during the course of that game, uh, I thought was outstanding. And Jokic is really, really tough. Uh, yeah. You know, he goes 37 and 18 last night. Yeah. 37 and 18. And uh, actually, uh, Kavan did a good job on him. Wiggs at times guarded him. You know, it was it's great team effort to try to stop him, but we have one guy who's, you know, doing the brunt of it. Let's put yeah. it that way. Right. I got I got to think, Ron, and I, I know there's no, no way for you to answer this, but just cause speculation, how Jokic, how frustrated Jokic must be with Draymond. I mean, mm-hmm. he's got he's got size and he's got height and weight on him. And yet Draymond is and I know you said 37 and 18, but Barkley and Shaq were saying after the game, yeah, that looks good in the box score, but Draymond won the game. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't I don't disagree with that, but he still he still went 37, 18, <laughs> nine free throws on 14 yeah. of 22 shooting. Yeah. Uh, come on, fellas, it's <laughs> the, the certain stats speak for themselves. Now, was his game good enough to get them over the hill? No. And uh, again, that's I think largely Draymond. Much of it is our team defense in general. But uh, the guy's just a brilliant player. I think he complains too much. I was laughing after the game, and <laughs> I was uh, <laughs> I was going a day on our our coach from Serbia, just a wonderful guy and a great coach. And I said, mm-hmm. Belly is the only European in the league who doesn't complain on everything. <laughs> <laughs> nice, Ron. Yeah, it's totally. do you say that. I have an yeah. eighth grade son who plays basketball, and he said, "Does he said does Jokic complain on every play?" I said, "It might be a cultural thing. It might oh, be a boy. cultural thing." I said, "Practically but, <laughs> every play, but he's not as bad as Doncic. Let's put it that way." Yeah, that's oh, true. Yeah. Oh yeah, Luca too, yeah. right? Well, yeah, that's funny stuff, man. Uh, <laughs> wow, Ron Adams joining us live from Denver, where the Warriors have put on a, and in many ways, Ron pulling back and going big picture. In many ways, it was such a refreshing win in in a in a big overall cinemascope. You guys have been it's been three years since you got that group was able to do this, you know. And and we've had the clay well documented road back. Steph gets hurt by Marcus Smart. Um, you know, Draymond has a kind of a lost season when you guys go fifteen and fifty that year, and he admits that the fire lost. So wasn't there a, a, an overall? I mean, the wins at Chase were great. But what I'm getting at is, was there something different to last night that brought back, as Frank Sinatra used to sing, that old feeling? Well, there was. And I was talking to Steve about this after the game. That was at a critical time. You know, we had our veterans from the former wars and championships on the court at the same time, which was great. Uh, They were playing well. I thought uh, Andre was really, uh, really good down the stretch, made some key plays. Uh, but it was fun to see those guys out there together again. And it was kind of like the old days. And, of course, we've added players who are playing great at this moment, too, and, and blending well. So, yes, it did remind me a, a bit of the old days. Yeah, we're talking to Ron Adams here, uh, live from Denver on the UMA Guest Line. You are listening to KMBR on KMBR FM, San Francisco, the sports leader at Cumulus Media Station. I know defense is your thing, Ron. It's your bag, baby, as Austin Powers would say. But... Can you offer your observations on the emergence of Jordan Poole? 
um, this is not easy, what he's doing at his age with this pressure, surrounded by this cast that has done it and has said, you know, you better prove it, kid. Uh, excuse me, Ron. He's proven it again and again and again. There's a fearlessness there. There's a work ethic there. What can you share with us about your – you've been around this game a long time. What are you seeing with Jordan Poole? Yeah. Well, from day one when he came in, I saw a guy with a really good work ethic. Uh, I, I've been reading all these articles about how Steph has affected uh, Jordan, and he has because he's a fantastic model, as is Clay, especially their, work, their respective work uh, ethics. But Jordan had this coming in. Jordan was a worker. He was focused in, in his in his individual work. Uh, he was very immature when he came in, a fantastic kid, mm. but just young, you know, and, and had some rocky uh, times initially. Uh, but uh, his work ethic, I will compare to any player I've been around. Mm. And some of this, you know, stuff that looks unbelievable that he does in a game, he works on that, as does Steph. A lot of Steph's difficult shots are choreographed. These are not things that he just pulls out of a hat, although occasionally that does happen. But uh, and Jordan is of the same ilk. And from day one, I thought and I told people in our organization that if he develops uh, someday, you know, the, the dream would be to play Clay and him and, and Steph together at the same time, and it would be really, really interesting. And it's proven more than interesting, right? Wow. Uh, a, uh, you saw that. You thought about those guys on the court at the same time. Well, skill is skill, guys. Skill is skill. And Jordan came in and he had skill, mm-hmm. ability to move with the basketball. He, he He dribbles as if the ball is not there. It's just part of him. He dribbles a little <laughs> bit too much still. <laughs> you know, we'd like him yeah. to streamline some of that, but mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. he dribbles as if the ball is just part of him, and his quickness to the rim and in other areas is just spectacular. Now, he struggled defensively like a lot of guys. I mean, Steph has struggled over the years, too, and he's really settled into being a great defensive player right now. Uh, and Jordan, I'm just so pleased with his defense in this series. I think Mike has done a really good job of him, Mike Brown, job with him. Uh, Mike Brown is, is coordinating our defense and doing a really great job. Uh, but, uh, you know, we all peck away at it and, and try to get him to see pictures better. And obviously Draymond and other key defensive leaders on our team have done the same, but he's starting to get it. He's starting to focus more on that end. And I think his defense in the playoffs, uh, his defense has been quite good. Uh, and he's only going to get better because he has the skills to be a great defender. Quickness, he challenges shots well, he does does a lot of things well, and uh, is is waking up on the help side of the floor and becoming a factor there too. Yeah, great breakdown there from Ron Adams on the emergence of Jordan Poole from the time he arrived to last night. Really, really, really good stuff. Uh, while we have a few more minutes with you, Ron, we sure do appreciate you hopping on the Murphy Max Show, Warriors uh, Game 4 Sunday. My question is about Andrew Wiggins um, because you know, it's a little. I know you're not, you're not on Twitter during games. I know, Ron, uh, but there you know fans get impatient. They get upset, and he wasn't sizzling in that game until the end. And he had three signature plays. He had the three, the corner three. He had the offensive rebound that Barkley and Shaq just went on and on about. 
and he de- he forced Jokic into a fallaway jumper that fell short. And I wondered your thought on Wiggins having maybe not a brilliant game to that point and then making winning plays down the stretch. And did you have a favorite of those? Well, I think the plays you outlined were, outlined were outstanding, but I go back to a person's body of work during the game. Uh, Wiggins is being overshadowed a bit because we have three guys last night who each score close to 30 points, which is pretty amazing, right? Uh, 30 points apiece. And uh, I thought he played an outstanding game. I thought his play was as good as anyone's play last night. His uh, defensive consistency in the playoffs have been great. Uh, He comes up with big plays. He's really stymied the point guards. If you notice, he guards everybody. And uh, he's been okay on Jokic even at times, uh, not for long stretches. But he's really bottled up their point guard play. And uh, he's guarded their four men. I mean, he's he's done really well. I, I... I can't accept how he gets beat up at times in our market. Uh, uh, he's one of those guys who will have his lulls uh, during the season. He didn't come out great after the all-star break, after being named an all-star, but he got it going again. And, uh, you know, a, a guy who really recognizes what he's doing for our team is Draymond. And, uh, has some really great things to say about him to our team after these games because in many ways he's kind of the unsung guy. You know, our scorers are getting credit for their scoring. Draymond's getting credit for our defense. But the part he plays in the mosaic that we are now Hmm. is uh, pretty special. And, uh, you know, I don't expect fans to always see the new – the nuances of a game, it's kind of like uh, black and white in some cases, but uh, don't underestimate this guy. He's been really pivotal for us. Man, great right. stuff. Ron, I could yeah. talk basketball with you I know. forever. It's just yeah. great talking the game, the science it of the is. game with you. Yep. But we got to let you go. We know you have uh, things to do, and Gabe Kapler of the Giants is coming in on the other segments. So what we'll do is this. Thank you for your time. Oh, thank you so much, Ron. Polly, Ron, I think this run's going to go into June, so can we – Keep keep your phone on, Ron. Yeah, we might be back. (laughs) We might be back, Ron. I'm glad to see you're having a real guest come on after me. (laughs) (laughs) Go enjoy your day, Ron. Thanks a million. Well, first and foremost, we just want to thank Gabe Kapler, uh, manager of a big league team. He's very busy. He's got roster moves. He's got lineups. He's got travel from New York to Washington. And we had him on um, the other day. His connection wasn't great. And he said, guys, I'll I'll get you another time. And sure Mm -hmm. enough, that other time is today. Awesome. And uh, awesome. so we want to thank Gabe for uh, being uh, generous with his time and coming back on the UMA guest line. And Gabe, as a treat, we gave you a little Kendrick Lamar coming back there. So good morning. Welcome yeah. back to Murph and Mac. Hey, Gabe. Uh, I, I appreciate you guys knowing me so well. And I apologize for a few days ago. That was, that was definitely my responsibility. I'll do better. So uh, just to keep it fun for a second, though, you are, you're, you know, if anybody follows you on social, we know music is a passion of yours. And Kendrick's got a new album coming out that caught your eye, huh? Oh, there you go. Well, it caught my eye. It caught the eye of my, my son, my uh, my 20-year-old, who is a huge hip-hop head. So is my older son as well. But my younger son is a, a Kendrick fan. And uh, years ago, we were discussing the greatest hip-hop artists of all time. And 
uh, I brought out my list, and uh, my son, my son Dane, is believed that Kendrick is the greatest ever. And yeah. so I actually, uh, years ago, when he mentioned that, I started to really dig into his catalog. And um, not that I didn't, I wasn't familiar, but I got way more familiar. And, and now uh, he and I are anticipating this release together. <laughs> That's awesome. So you 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 go ahead and you you sit the boy down. And you're like, okay, let's talk about it. Let's and you and you respect his opinion and you, and you uh, you 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 check out his offerings. Well, we've been talking, uh, the three of us, so my two sons and, and me, have been talking about music since they were, you know, able to walk. I mean, they grew up listening to all the music that I listened to, um, and th- that includes all sorts of hip-hop, but also, like, their first their first concert was Metallica at the Staples Center, and uh, my, <laughs> my, 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 younger, my younger son was five years old, like, yeah. standing on the seat. And, and like you know, rocking out. So no, nice. we just we love we love music as a group together, and we're always talking about it. Will That's you go? Awesome, how, how I imagine you have a wide lens. Like uh, I, I think we've talked about that. I think reggae is definitely part of it. But I mean, how deep will you? You'll just, will you welcome it all, Gabe? I mean, you're, you know, I mean, like even like country music. Will you go down that road? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So my my dad my dad was a classical musician, and. Um, so, and my, my whole family is very, very eclectic when it came to music. So world music was huge in, in my house growing up. And probably my favorite artist of all time is Ali Parkatore, who's an African blues guitarist. So nice. yeah, from, from, from blues to, to like real hip hop, which I grew up on, as I mentioned, yeah. and then, you know, heart, harder rock, it, it really, and country music as well, just getting into baseball. How could you not? listen to a lot of country music and i've gotten more and more familiar with that genre over the course yeah. of the last 15 20 years that's awesome. hey uh, gabe while we have you here we had carlos rodon on monday he was great by the way he was very conversational and and, and interesting and kind of funny and and he said uh, and we'll stroke you here he, we asked him what it was like coming out to a whole new team new organization new coaching staff new manager and everything. he said man it's a real breath of fresh air mm-hmm. and he he said the way you guys go about your business is everything about it feels fresh and very approachable and i imagine you know you probably can't please everybody all the time i imagine but to hear a guy say that on uh, 50,000 watts on the flagship um, you know is that kind of what you're looking for is to have these guys have positive impressions when you get there and and maybe you could tell us about maybe welcoming Rodon to the fold well I mean I certainly appreciate the the positive feedback but it's, it's really not what we're going for what we're going for is is crisp efficient communication where players feel like they're told the truth um, and they're they're given information up front they're not trying to process it um, fast and, and in real time when it's going to blindside them so I'm, I'm glad that that was Carlos's feedback and I really like Carlos as well, but what we really want to be is, is good partners to them and, um, and help them be the best that they can be, whether that's because they, they like our coaching staff, they, they respect our coaching staff. That's important, but are, are we helping them get better? And I think that's ultimately what players care about. Well, it's probably what he was talking about, what he liked there. So, okay, from big picture to small picture, you lose three out of four in New York. Uh, how do you process it? I mean, did you guys not play to your standard? Were the Mets just a little too hot to handle? Um, how do you process that series? Well, they definitely outplayed us in the series and, um, you know, gives us a, a lot of things to work on. We made some outs on the bases that uh, we all we all would like to have back. Um, we didn't make enough pitches in, in the biggest moments. There was some, there was some fortune. There always is, but we had some, some good fortune as well. Um, I just think they were the better team for this four games. Now, um, we're going to be ready to play them when they come uh, to to our our house, and 
Um, we're going to do the, everything that we possibly can to be a better team in that series. But now it's on to, it's on to Washington, D.C., and it's where we are today. And we have our advanced meeting in about 45 minutes or so, and, and we'll sit down and get ready for the match. I'm sure fans are a little concerned about Di Sclafani. You addressed it after the game. You said you're going to ride with him, but a chance for you to sort of refresh your comments here. Sure. You know, he hasn't he hasn't delivered what he wants, you know, and, and so what would you say to the fans out there who are worried that he's not uh, holding up the rest of a very strong rotation? Well, Anthony was an excellent major league starter for us last year for most of the year. Um, he wasn't always physically at his best, and he posted for us over and over. Um, and he's another player that we've established strong lines of communication with and that we are going to invest heavily in going forward. So what I'll say is every good high quality pitcher goes through stretches where their stuff just isn't, uh, isn't at their best. And I don't think it's any secret that Tony's has been down a little bit. He's, he's dealing with a few physical issues. Now those physical issues, um, sometimes they're, they're just about not recovering as well as you want to. It's really difficult to deliver uh, major league pitch after major league pitch and then come back and feel fresh and, and at your strongest. There are some things that are leading to that, and there are some uh, delivery cues that are really important to him. He needs to, to use his legs to deliver the baseball and have his arm not take the brunt of the work, and he's not there right now. Now now it's our chance, when I say our, our chance as an organization and as coaches to, to step up and support Tony so that he can get to be his best. That's going to take some conversation, and then it's going to uh, require a good game plan to get him right back on track. The one thing I'll, I'll finish with here is, um, I and we have full faith, full confidence that Tony is going to be great for us for long stretches, win a lot of baseball games for us and with us, and now is the time to rally around him. All right. Well said. Uh, very explanatory and uh, and uh, deep conversation there on Di Sclafani. Uh, tonight's starter is worth a, a mention, Sam Long. Um, we had uh, Dave Fleming on earlier, Susan Slusser on earlier, and they both said they were very impressed by what they've seen from him both in spring and early in the season Tell us a little bit about your thought process of giving him the ball, and, and are you as high on him? Like, is there an expectation now around this kid? So last year um, during spring training, this is spring training of 2021, uh, Sam Long had some of the best stuff that we had in our entire camp. He was, you know, 94, 94 to 96. He was pounding the zone with three pitches, a fastball, curveball, changeup combination. And for that reason, um, we knew that we were going to give him an opportunity in 21 to make an impact. Now, he had an up-and-down season in 21. There were some great performances, and, and there were some that, that left something to be desired. And mostly that was about just strike-throwing and attacking the zone and, and getting ahead. Now, Sam has showed up in the 22 season, even in limited appearances, with really good stuff again. And, and now the key to his success going forward, and he knows it, nobody knows it better than Sam does, uh, is just going to be filling it up with those three pitches. And you can have all the great stuff in the world, but if you fall, fall behind against uh, the best hitters in the world, they're going to punish you for it. Hmm. So um, Sam's goal today is going to be to attack the strike zone with all of those pitches, and if he's able to do that, I think he's going to be just fine. Okay, very excited to see Sam Long do his thing tonight and uh, Giants in Washington, D.C. By the way, just joking, not joking, but uh, does Juan Soto see a strike this weekend? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I will be – I'm very comfortable saying, you know, he's one of the, the two or three best hitters in baseball, if not – the best hitter in baseball. And um, w one thing I'll say is the best hitters in baseball become worse hitters when they're behind in the count. Nice. So it doesn't, it's not going to help us to have Juan Soto be in 2-0 and 3-1 counts against us 
that's just going to make us feel less comfortable. So, look, you, you have to deliver strike one to, to Soto, and hopefully you get in an 0-1 count, and he becomes a little bit worse, and then you deliver strike two. These are not actually the best hitters to go deep into count and to pick around and be really timid with because they're either just they're going either going to walk or punish you at the end. So um, for for me, the best hitters in the league, you have to attack them. You have to force them to swing the bat early in counts. And look, sometimes damage is going to come, but for the most part, you give yourself the best chance to succeed by attacking the zone. Yeah, like they say, you're going to give them up, make them solo, right? Give up the make sure there's nobody on base, which means attacking other hitters, right? I I completely I completely agree with that. Um, it's it's generally speaking not solo home runs that beat you, but you know a, a walk to lead off an inning. You're able to record a couple of outs, and then it's a two run homer, um, or may, maybe a three run homer that puts up a quick crooked inning. We know uh, in Major League Baseball that the big innings win baseball games, so we want to stay away from those. Just a couple more minutes here with Gabe Kapler. Kind enough to check back in with us on this road trip. Giants Nationals today in Washington, D.C. Sam Long getting the ball uh, in Washington against Pat Corbin. Tough lefty. So, hey, finally you see a lefty, Gabe. My God, you guys won't even know what to do with him, right? Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to run out as, as many right-handed hitters um, as we have available, as we usually do. We're going to have a few lefties in the lineup, and those are likely going to be Craw Belt and, and Yaz, who, who hit that home run for us and has been swinging the bat really well. I know – his, his stats or his, his traditional stats don't necessarily reflect that, but his timing has been good. Uh, the bat's been whistling through the zone, and he's another guy that we need to, to support and, and believe in every step of the way because he's been so good for us and because we know he's going to be good for us again. So yeah. uh, Yaz will be in there, and then the rest of the lineup will be filled with our right-handed bats. Slater will be in there. Ruff will be in there. Wilmer Flores, Tyro Estrada. Um, so it'll be, a, it'll be a fun day. Uh, just quickly, the um, on the Duggar injury, what, what, what's the game plan? Is there a roster move coming? Yeah, there's roster moves coming. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll announce when we announce, not that we, um, we're trying to hide the ball or anything, but usually when we make announcements and we, we hold from, from sharing information in settings like this, not because we don't want people to know about it. It's because you know every, every minute that another team has to wait for that information is, is pretty good for us. Um, so... You know, we'll announce it when we think that the time is right, and um, the game plan is to get Stephen Duggar as healthy as possible. I love it. So you are hiding the ball from the other team, though, right? Yeah, I mean, look, that's that's honestly overdoing it because it's, <laughs> it's not it's, it's not it's not new. It's not some big thing yeah. that like the Giants team and, and other teams don't do. You give right. information when when it's the appropriate time to give information. Sure. All right, since we're on a roll, we got one last minute with it. We, we made big news. We're going to go for it, Paulie. You can ask him the big question here. Okay. So when you did the whole um, unwritten rules thing, and you were like, "No, we're doing it different, man. We're gonna we're gonna bleed bullpens. It's stupid. We don't follow those rules." We were talking on the show about how just how revolutionary you are, and how you just you've turned over the apple cart. The way you hire coaches, the way you coach games, the way you talk to the media, the way you've blown unwritten rules up. And I wondered aloud. I said, "I wonder if there's anything about the old school quote unquote romance of baseball that Gabe embraces, like a field of dreams or whatever, you know? Or is that all nonsense to you? Is there anything in the old school traditional romance of the game that you embrace?" I, I love the tradition of baseball, and and I don't think that those two things are mutually exclusive at all. Where you you want to make changes, or you want to be a part of changes in baseball, but you can still love the history of the game and the tradition and and I, I absolutely do. I mean, I played in the last game ever at Tiger Stadium. I wow. loved that place. I, I thought it was I thought it was a palace. Like one of the things that I loved about it was playing center field where where Ty Cobb played. Right. Wow. And if you if you ask me what my favorite my favorite ballparks 
around the country are excluding ours, which I think is uh, perfect. But right. thinking about like Fenway and Wrigley and and again the old Yankee Stadium, the old Tiger Stadium, these are places that if people say I, I'll ask them, hey, did you did you get to the old Yankee Stadium before um, they moved into the new place? And they say yes. I'm so proud. I'm so happy that they got to experience that because I am a lover of of the history of baseball and all sports for that matter. Um, I like I like the most traditional baseball uniforms. I love our unis because because they're traditional. I love the old the old Tigers uniform with the with the uh, old English D. Um, so yeah, these things definitely light me up. And there's I could point to a million more things that I love about the history. Great, of the game. great answer. That fired me up, man. The Ty Cobb drop was just tremendous, Gabe. I love it. Well, we'll have to we'll have to pick up this thread another time and talk uh, current and former baseball uh, romance and, uh, and 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 revolutionary changes. So yeah, thanks sure, for the time, Gabe. It's sure do appreciate now. you circling yeah. back and playing along with our silly questions and also <laughs> talking some Giants baseball. So enjoy the weekend in D.C. Thanks, Gabe. I'm glad we got to connect again. We'll talk soon. There it is. Polly Mack. I mean, Dare listen, I say this guy. He, got a little something he, going with Gabe now. And we are back on the Polymac Podcast, ready to open that door. And in walks our good friend and podcast sponsor. He is Steve Moskowitz of Moskowitz LLP, doing business right here in San Francisco for over 30 years. I've had a great relationship with Steve for over 10 years. And Steve, we welcome back to the podcast. What is on your mind today, my friend? You know, Polymac, we've been talking about what do you do when you can't pay your taxes? And we've talked about offering compromise and the different grounds and we've talked about hardship deferral and some other things. So what happens if you go ahead and you talk to the agent and the agent says, you know, I hate you. <laughs> and the reason that I hate you so much is because you listen to Polly Mac. Oh no. And their spouse <laughs> is on a rival station <laughs> and nobody will listen to their spouse because everybody is listening to Polly Mac. Hey. And, and I'm going to take it out on you. <laughs> well, right. what happened, or, or let's say your situation is somewhat less extreme. Obviously, I'm joking. The guy's not getting, you know, personal like that. But no. you talk with an agent and he says, well, you know what? I don't care if your mother's dying. You got to pay your taxes. Okay. Or, well, too bad you lost your job. You should have had savings or, or whatever. Well, what do you do now? Where a lot of people make a mistake is they think that that agent is judge, jury, and executioner. Not the case. And what would happen if I was representing you? And the agent said that to me. What would I do? I'd say, well, Mr. or Ms. Agent, you're too tough for me. And then I go right over his or her head. <laughs> okay. And then what happens is you talk to their manager. They all have a manager. So the agent that you're dealing with, they all have a boss. And just, just like most people, if you're dealing with somebody, whether in a department store or a medical office or anywhere else, if you don't like the way you're treated, you take it up the chain. That's exactly what you do in the IRS. And don't be afraid to do it. And it's like, oh, the guy will get mad at me. He's already mad at you. <laughs> yeah. And the bottom, the bottom line is use your common sense. Don't let common sense go out the door, even though this is taxes. Right. It's like one of the things that I, I've always wondered about when I watch a movie and the bad guy shoves a gun in the back of the good guy and says, okay, get in my car so I can drive you out to a secluded area and kill you. <laughs> I've always thought, well, why would I do that? You're going to kill me anyway. Right. So no, I won't go. Are you going to shoot me in front of all these witnesses? And even if you do, 
I might have a chance for medical treatment to save my life. Why would I go out into the deserted area where I know for sure I'm going to die? Good question. And, and yeah. that's what you have here. Okay. Don't leave your common sense on the doorstep because you're dealing with the IRS. If you're dealing with that agent and you don't get along with him or her, or they're unreasonable, or they don't see your point of view, or maybe they just, in, in fairness to them, maybe they don't understand. Okay. Maybe they don't understand what it's like to have a sick mother that's dying. They say, well, you know, the rule book says you have to pay your taxes. So what that your mom's dying? Right. Whereas you go up and you talk to the manager and maybe the manager does have a, a mother in the hospital or just, you know, normal human compassion or just understands your case or understands, look, you know, it's tough getting a job right now, or there's plenty of pizza delivery jobs available, but you were a middle level management and, you know, Paulie, what happens in, in the management world, the higher up you go, the more time it takes that job. Right. And the, the bottom line is, you know, I remember way back when, when I was starting out, you know, if I wanted a factory job, I just walked into the factory and said, I'm here. And they said, okay, you're hired. Whereas if you wanted to be the manager of that factory, no, that's not the case. And sometimes for whatever reason, the ground level agent that you're dealing with just maybe doesn't have the life experience to understand that. Or you know what? They're all human too. Maybe they're just having a bad day. Yeah. You know, it's a situation and that's true of anybody, you know, like, like a cop that just had a fight with his wife or God knows what, or he got some bill sometimes. And, and it's, you know, again, I'm a simple guy and yeah, a lot of times there's all sophisticated reasons, but sometimes it's just as simple. The guy's having a bad day. And if you talk to him the day before or the day after he went to, but this day is in a bad mood. Well, you don't have to put up with that. You have a lot of recourse. And one of the things that you can do is go right over that agent's head. Well, suppose the manager is his best friend says, you know what? I think that my agent was right. And I don't care if your mother dies on the street. What do you do now? What you do now is, oh, wait, our time is up. Oh no, we'll have to wait until next week to find out what happens if the IRS and the manager want to do something horrible to you. And my last advice for the day is everybody keep listening to KMBR, the sports leader with Paulie Matt. This is whole, we've, we're breaking new ground here. We've got our first ever Steve Moskowitz cliffhanger, and this will be continued to find out the conclusion. We'll see you next week on the Paulie Mac podcast with Steve Moskowitz right here on KMBR 680 and 104.5 D Sports Leader. All right. What? I mean, we talked to Maddie about Jimmy G for how long? I know. I know. And it's like, Jimmy, you know what Debo said? Hold my beer, right? Because <laughs> Jimmy G is like the smallest of potatoes right now compared to the Debo Samuel story, which Maddie, I mean, you know, I, I mean, when he scrubbed the Instagram, I was like, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know what scrubbing the Instagram means. I, and then he says, don't make a big deal. And then you're like, I don't know. And now kaboom. Here we are. Debo yeah. Samuel last seen like cavorting in the snow at Lambeau, hugging Kittle, running for touchdowns, you know, being one of the great players in the NFL. Now, the NFL Network and ESPN reporting he wants out All right. of San Francisco. Yeah. Good morning, Maddie. And what do you Good say, morning. my friend? What do hey. you say? What do, what do I think? Yeah. You know what? Um, I almost always revert back to why does why is somebody unhappy? It's got to be the money. It's always the money. 
Yeah. This one, I don't think it's the money. Really? I, I think there's there's more stuff going on there. Okay. And I mean, I I know. I mean, I've reported that the 49ers are willing to pay Debo Samuel, you know, near or at the top of the market for wide receivers. And I just don't think that they've even really gotten that far into the contract negotiations. I think I've, I've told you, I mean, it's a pretty small window, not a whole lot of wiggle room for where he would come in average per year. So it, you can't, it can't be about the money if they haven't even really talked money yet. Hmm. Um, I have a really difficult time believing that it's about his role, that he doesn't want to be a running back, because if that were the case, knowing the, kind of rapport he has with Kyle Shanahan, couldn't he just tell him, hey, I, I, I want to be a wide receiver? Because I don't think Kyle Shanahan would say, nope, you're going to do what we tell you to do. And, I mean, even two weeks after the season when I taught, last talked to Debo, he was all about, you know, I could be a 1,000-1,000 guy. and I'm going to do whatever the, you know, the team wants me to do to win. Um so I don't think it's that because to me that's an easy fix. Hey, mm. I, I want to be a, a, a wide receiver, and I think the 49ers, a lot of why they put him back there last year, I mean the last 11 games of the season, he carried the ball anywhere from five to, to ten times a game for 11 consecutive games. A lot yeah. of that I think had to do with the running back situation. Remember the, when they moved him, there for that Jacksonville game, it was kind of necessity. You know, they were they were pretty banged up, so I don't think that's it. Uh, and I, I don't know exactly what it is, but I, I did see that um, Chris Sims speculated about Devo didn't want you know doesn't want to play in California. And to me, that one actually makes some sense because when I talked to him in LA, I, I asked him, "Are you going to work out with Trey Lance this off season?" Yeah, and he said, "I'm not coming to California in the off season. So if he wants to work out with me, he can come to Florida." And I said, "You know, I kind of followed up jokingly. You know, why don't you want to come to California?" Yeah. And he kind of, almost kind of tensed up, and he said, "I don't want to." And then we moved on to another subject. So to me, that's the only one where I can look at it and go, you know, he grew up in in South Carolina. I believe his son is back there, you know, so yeah, to me, that makes a little bit of sense. It, it so I, I don't know. He, you know, Jeff Darlington broke the story yesterday. Um, he talked to Debo and Debo told him that, yes, he's requested a trade, but then uh, he didn't, he didn't tell Jeff Darlington why. And so everybody who is speaking on a why, Debo Samuel has requested a trade. It, I think, is speculating because he did have a, a now deleted tweet that said that the only people who know are Debo, the agent, and the 49ers. I just, I, I do know, and speaking to people at the 49ers, it is a very delicate situation. It is very sensitive, and in in the 49ers, you know, they, I think, they'd have to be blown out of the water to trade him. I mean, they, they don't want to set that precedent of, hey, a player is unhappy, and instead of kind of seeing it through and trying to work things out and make it so that both sides kind of get on the same page again, you know, they don't want to set that precedent of, oh, a player requests a trade? Okay, guess we have to trade them. Mm-hmm. So it's going to have to be a big-time deal, I think, for the 49ers to move on from him. 
And I would think the deadline, you know, in order for a trade to happen, it would have to happen, you know, on Thursday. You know, it'd have to happen in the next seven days. And so, I don't know. I, I think I'm, I've kind of been wavering back and forth, you know, about Debo and his future at the 49ers. Uh, it, it's it's going to be a block. It would have to be a blockbuster, I think, for the 49ers to entertain the thought of getting rid of him. Wow. Well, I mean, that's really good information and, and you know, kind of calmly thought. I, I'm like you. I was saying earlier in the show, I'm like, my experience in life tells me that everybody has their price. That it's mm-hmm. very rare that somebody doesn't – somebody wants to leave some sort of sporting environment or place strictly for non-monetary reasons. I mean, if usually – you know, I mean, Matt, you can take it from there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, there there are monetary reasons – too, you know, there's there's that, and and maybe that's part of the the California thing, is that you know we pay taxes here for a reason. It's a great place to live, and uh, you know the the tax rate. I mean, he would get a lot more taken out of his out of that whatever it is, twenty four million a year here than he would somewhere else. So does that factor into it? I mean, I'm sure it does, but I just don't think it's the reason. I think there are multiple reasons for this um and he has been reluctant to share those reasons uh with anyone other than i'm assuming the 49ers so we'll kind of we'll see where this takes us but um he is such an important part of the team and the the thing also about um the money and the role is i mean their argument his argument for being at the top of the market to get paid there is because he is so unique. He's a, he's a wide receiver. He's a running back and he's really good at both. Now, if you take the running back out of the equation, is he a wide receiver at the level of Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams and Stephon Diggs, Cooper cup? I mean, no, he hasn't had that kind of consistency. He's had one really, really good season. But the consistency hasn't been there of staying healthy and producing big numbers. So if if his thing is, I don't want to be a running back, then all of a sudden he's not worth as much. You know, to any, any team that wants Debo Samuel, they want him for what he showed in 2021 as and in the postseason as a wide receiver who can also line up in the backfield and get big yards and score a lot of touchdowns. So if you take that out of the equation, now I, I don't think the dollar amount is as much. So that's why it's a, it's a tough one to to kind of analyze and figure out because um, you know until we hear it from Debo Samuel, what it is that's that's inspiring him, prompting him to to make that trade request, we really don't know, and it's and it's it's all speculation. Yeah. Did he have some sort of great relationship with Mike McDaniel that he wants to recreate? Oh. Um, well, I think that that ship sailed. You know, as soon as the Dolphins made that trade for Tyreek Hill, mm-hmm. you know they're not they're not going to make a, another trade. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he he does have a good relationship with, with Mike McDaniel. But again, that conversation I had with him at the Super Bowl, I mean, he was he was telling me about how special his relationship is with Kyle Shanahan. That you know, a lot of players see the head coach and say hi and that's it and they're kind of intimidated by the head coach 
Debo said that I would walk into his office, you know, every Monday and Tuesday, and we would talk about, you know, what's what's the game plan going to be, you know, what kind of role is he going to have in this upcoming game, and then he'd sit there for another hour, and they talk about life, you know, they talk about uh, Debo would ask about Kyle's kids, and and Kyle would ask about Debo's son, and and they would talk about life stuff, and so that's why I just have this really difficult time believing that that Kyle Shanahan, you know, that it has to be something that is out of Kyle Shanahan's control. You know, if his usage were the issue, Kyle Shanahan can control that. And and Kyle Shanahan does not run a dictatorship. You know, he does not say, "Oh, you don't want to be a running back? Okay, you, uh, you know, too bad. I'm going to force you to to do something you don't want to do." And and through the course of last season, I mean, there I think there was a time early on where Debo kind of expressed like, "Well, I hope I'm not doing this too much." Um, but then toward the end of the year, he was doing it successfully. You know, he told me he would do whatever it takes for the team to win. Um, you know, there was that that play kind of famously uh, in the third quarter of the game against the Cowboys, where there was a quick change. Kwan Williams had an interception. And Debo Samuel, as he's going onto the field, looks over at Kyle and says, give me the ball. By the easiest play call of Kyle Shanahan's career, give Debo Samuel the ball. And he scored the touchdown that, that kind of, I know the Cowboys came back late in that game, but it kind of iced it. You know, it gave the 49ers a, a pretty big lead um, heading into the fourth quarter. So if if he was dissatisfied with that role that really made him who he is and put him on the radar as not only an emerging star, but, you know, a, a star in the NFL, uh, then that's that's news to me and, and a lot of people who are around Debo this past season. Well, Chris Sims obviously has his relationship with Kyle Shanahan, and I know he tries to sort of mm-hmm. distance himself from it and say, no, Kyle doesn't tell me stuff. But if he reports something, there's probably a good idea that a breadcrumb was left at his door. So this idea of Debo just not wanting to be on the West Coast it has some sort of merit to it, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, no, it, yeah, it does. I mean, and when I saw that, I was like, okay, that's that's the first somebody else. I mean, we I talked about that on our 49ers Talk podcast about the whole California thing. Uh, but to hear somebody else say it is like, okay, well, you know, it, it's that part to me makes more sense than, than the other stuff that I've heard mm-hmm. because of, I mean, I was, I mean, I, I was looking at, at Debo as we were talking and I saw his body language and I kind of saw how he just didn't want to talk about, you know, being in California in the off season and, and you know it's kind of important, I think, for a for a wide receiver to develop a poor with a with a, with a quarterback, especially a young guy like Trey Lance, and for him to say, "I'm not going to California." If he wants to work out with me, he he has to come to Florida. <laughs> that kind of left a kind of an imprint on me about about Debo Samuel's mindset. You know, uh, Paulie, we got to hook him up with uh, Carlos Rodon, who we just had on Monday, who said he and his family are loving living in the Bay. And, uh, yeah, true story. Maybe yep. we should get Debo to move in with Rodon and they have a whole. Yeah, change his attitude a little, <laughs> right? His perspective. <laughs> Great stuff, Matty. Really good, really good analysis and uh, and it helpful too. So enjoy the Giants today, and then good luck with your Debo reporting. Thanks for coming on, man. Thanks, Matty. All right, gentlemen. Always my pleasure. Talk to you next week on yeah. draft day. Yeah, which I, I have a feeling the conversation will be very similar.
Yeah, yeah. right, wow. right, right. Could climax okay. that day. Very good. Matt Mayoko, yep. of course. Off he goes. You've been listening to Polly's Podcast with Polly Mack of KNBR's Murph and Mack Morning Show. This is the KNBR Podcast Network on KNBR, the sports leader. Hey, everybody. Polly Mack here from the Murph and Mack Morning Show talking to Steve Moskowitz, our good friend. Now, Steve, the ERC, the Employee Retention Credit Offer, I think there's a lot of confusion regarding who qualifies. Can you help us make some sense of the ERC? Yes, I can. There's different ways to qualify. But what I want to caution your listeners about, a lot of people go on the internet to determine if they qualify or not. There's a lot of information on there that has changed. When this first came out, a lot of people didn't qualify. They qualify now. So the bottom line is, if you employ anybody, call us and we'll tell you if you qualify or not. And again, it's a grant. That means it's a gift. It's not a loan. It's a big deal. Don't miss out if you're qualified under these new laws. This is exactly why we like talking to Steve Moskowitz. He's got that kind of expertise and knowledge at his fingertips and let him help you along. You're in great hands with Steve. Call him today at one triple eight tax deal or visit him online at MoskowitzLLP.com. one triple eight tax deal or visit him online at MoskowitzLLP.com.